I think the one thing that people need to understand when they first come in is it's just that you don't think anybody else has gone through the kind of pain that you're going through. We all know that pain. And to just let them know, we understand what that pain is and to stick around here because this works. And maybe some of this seems a little strange and a little off, but trust me, it works and your life will be better than anything that you could have imagined. I, I hear people say that. And when I first came in, I thought that meant a car, you know, and I'm driving a convertible with beautiful women and <laughs> with loads of money that I'm throwing out of the car or something. You know, that's what I thought. <laughs> it's just so different than anything that I could have imagined that works and keep coming back. More will be revealed. <laughs> More will be revealed. But do not be discouraged. And don't leave before the miracle happens. Don't leave before the first miracle happens. Oh, yes. Because there's other ones. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, what's your favorite line in the big book? What's the first line that comes to mind? Hey, first line that comes Which will be your favorite line. I am not a big book quoter. That's the problem, Don. Yeah, but there's got to be some. I, you know, I. Line. Well, let me tell you what I have found because I've been asking people this for a week. For me, the grouch and the brainstorm are not for us <laughs> because I just, <laughs> I just love that. Wait, it's it, it's not boiled as an owl. Sometimes I think of boiled as an owl. <laughs> I got to go to the uh, the promises because the the fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. You know, fear of people Ooh, yeah. was one of the big things for me. Yeah. It's still not my I, you know, I if I could avoid being around people for the rest of my life, I'd probably choose that, but actually I wouldn't. Uh because <laughs> I've come to realize that I actually do like having people in my life and I'm really a lot better at talking with folks and interacting with folks than I thought I was when I thought I needed alcohol to do it. Yes, uh-huh. And it feels good to isolate, but it might not be the best thing all the time. <laughs> I mean, it I, really does feel good to me sometimes. Oh, so I had a sponsee that told me one time, there's a very big difference between solitude and isolation. I need solitude to recharge. Yeah. Isolation will separate me. There you go. Well, I asked my sponsor what his favorite line is, and I've, I've read this line many times, but it has never jumped out to me. But it has since he said it to me, which is more will be revealed. I've, I've just read over it. More will be revealed. But for, he takes it on and he's going, it's been true in my life. He'd been sober a long time. And he said, it's constantly reveal more is being revealed all the time it's changing all the time and everything looks a little different more will be revealed i love that <laughs> well i gotta tell you what popped in my head and that was gallagher the comedian going with but wait there's more <laughs> <laughs> all right it slices it dices it julienne's yeah. Well, you know, people get excited and upset even over big book language like where it says in the book we have recovered that means we are not recovering there's some uh, old timers who sometimes will jump on that it's like <laughs> it says we're recovered by golly well and but i love the 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 distinction in that because sure. we are recovered from what 
a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Yeah. And yeah, I am definitely recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Well, of course, both things are true. I'm recovered and recovering, but it's a point of mm-hmm. argument for some people. And, you know, <laughs> semantics are fun. Yeah. And another one is, it says in the book, I have to be concerned about a hundred forms, or is it 400 forms of fear, delusion, self-seeking, <laughs> self-pity? So a hundred of each, is that what you're saying? Yes, people say, I've got a hundred forms of fear, and I'm going, yeah, but what about the self-delusion? Is that another hundred, or is that part of the hundred? <laughs> you're diving in deep there, Don. <laughs> Well, you know, whichever it is, uh, a listener wrote in with a real corker of a question and and we'll answer it or at least give our opinions along with our guest today. Today's guest is Bob S. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bob helps you to produce the podcast, right, Don? Yeah, he's he's our other sound editor. He edited season six, episode three, where Sam and I talked to Ted. Y'all won't be able to tell the difference from when I do it and when Bob does it because he does it so well. Well, he does. He tends to leave in more us than I do. I cut out more us than he does. Uh, but I, I, like, I would cut that out. He might leave that in. But these are these are interesting questions in editing. You know, do you leave them in? Do you leave them out to keep the personality of the person? Like. Sam, sometimes what you'll do is you'll, 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 and, you'll forget. And, well, you'll and, and, but you repeat a word about 15 times while you're trying to think of the wait, next. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait. I don't so, know what you're talking about. So what I'll do is cut that down to two. So it's still got your personality in there and not, not let it go on, you know, for a minute and a half later. You know, instead of taking this as an insult, Don, I'm going to take this with gratitude that you you think I have personality and you want the world to hear it. Thank you. (laughs) You know, this is going to be like a very public performance review for the last three quarters for Bob. Uh, Let's not make him more nervous than he already is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after getting to know Bob a bit, we'll answer that question sent to the Ask It Basket. But wait, there's more. (laughs) There it is, Sam. There sure is. We've got an A8 grapevine, half-hour variety hour scoop, sort of. I attended an internet service sharing session that Monica F. in Chicagoland coordinates. She always calls it Chicagoland, so I guess I can... On that, I heard Michelle Merzer. I can use her last name because she's not an alcoholic. She's a non-alcoholic archivist at the AA Archives. She played a recording that they had just discovered in the vault. I I suppose there's a vault. I like to imagine there's a vault where all these things are stored and, you know, they're in there and have a flashlight. The AA catacombs. Michelle, look over here. Look what I found. We're here in the vault. It's a new recording. They found a recording of Bill W. giving a talk at the 1950 General Service Conference. It's about how our book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, came together. It was on the event of its publication and the conference, and he speaks about it. And, you know, being Bill W. is one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, he wrote the big book. Yeah. 
and the 12 and 12, and the AA service manual, and the 12 concepts, Mm -hmm. and AA comes of age, and our great responsibility. Okay, okay. okay. That's enough. He wrote a lot. We got the picture. So at the end of the show, we're going to have a, uh, Sam, help me out. Blast from the past. Michelle has given us a copy of that newly discovered recording, and we're going to play it then. And folks, we need you to write or call in with questions for the Ask It Basket and for a new type of segment for the podcast, A Newcomer Asks. We're asking you, dear listeners, to send us questions you've asked a newcomer or have been asked by a newcomer. And don't send one. Send a few of them. If you go to a newcomer meeting, write down some of the questions and send them to us. You can email us at podcast at aagrapevine.org, or you can call them in at 212-870-3418. Hey, Alice, how can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, our website, or even the podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. Wait, what? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store or subscribe in the new Grapevine app. My name is Bob S. from Charlotte, North Carolina. My sobriety date is October 12th of 1984, and my home group is the Southern Pacific Group in Charlotte. Interesting. Southern Pacific Group in Charlotte on the East Coast. So the meeting was started by somebody who had uh, moved from Los Angeles, the Pacific Group, and started the Southern Pacific Group. And we've been going now for, I think it'll be 33 years this year. Wow, that's fantastic. Bob, so glad that you are here. Yeah, it's great to meet both of you. Wow, it's great to see. It's it's great. To, I've met Don, but it's great to see you. I've edited your voices many times in working on the uh, on the podcast, so I feel like I know you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it's you feel like you know us and not that you hate us from listening to us so much. <laughs> Well, you have a unique perspective, Bob, because you've listened to the show and now you're on the inside of it. How is it different than what you imagined? I mean, I I enjoyed it from the very beginning. I discovered it probably maybe about a year ago from when this recording is. I binged it. I just listened to all the episodes that were there, which is, I think, something that I've heard a lot of people have done. Seems to be. I knew Don was about 100 miles away from me. And so uh, when I went to the state convention last summer... I was like, I hope he's here. And he was. I was in the hospitality suite and he was a volunteer. And I said to him, I said, I know who you are. And I think he said, I'm not sure was what he said. <laughs> and then uh, then I said, uh, you know, if you need any help with this, I've done this kind of work before. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to help if you need some. And he said, yes, we do. And so that is how all of this sort of came about. Then he kind of gave me some work parts and said, all right, now do what you can do with it or whatever. And so I put something together and then he said, okay, I think we're going to use you. Yeah. My favorite thing that you did was the blooper reel <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. on the anniversary special, right? Yeah. I put that together. Yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun. What would, can you tell a listener that that is surprising about the way that we do it? 
that it doesn't come out perfect in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that right. Are you suggesting that we are not professionals who nail it every time from the start? Nobody does. But, but <laughs> so what he usually will give me, Don will usually say, okay, fine. I've got about 50 minutes of audio and I need for you to make it 25. And mm -hmm. so then you go into the process of not only taking out all the ums and errs and all that other stuff and making sure the levels are right and, and all of that other sort of technical stuff. Then you have to make determinations about what is important and what is not important. And that's one of the things that um, that I always sort of struggle with because I'm like, should I have left that? Should I have not left that? And some of the guests you've had are so good. It's like, ah, I want to leave it all. But for no, for time constrictions, you really can't. It really is a tough thing. I edited one episode and went through that crisis, if you will. This is why it's so important that not only a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but someone who's been around for a while is working on the podcast yeah. because of having to make those decisions. Yeah, I think you can sort of understand what is important and what is not important. And I, I think that the the personal stories that people tell, the things that are most personal to them and emotional are the things that really resonate with me. And I go, well, this is what I'd want to listen to. So I put it on there. So personal story, how did you get sober? So I was 25 years old. Alcohol really had started to affect my life, job losses, uh, broken relationships, that sort of thing. And I was uh, living in the Washington, D.C. area at the time in Northern Virginia. And I went down to Washington and was partying around, got pulled over when I came across the Key Bridge into Roslyn. It was at that moment I sat in the car before the policeman came up and I said, this is done. This is over. This is your fault. You can make no excuse that this is anybody else's fault. And I knew in that moment was my moment of clarity that uh, something was going to change in my life. And then uh, later on that day, I ended up calling Alcoholics Anonymous and went to my first meeting two days later. How did you know about Alcoholics Anonymous? When, and what did you think about it before going? You know, I didn't... <laughs> Same. This part of the story, I can only say that Providence is involved with this because I can't tell you how I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. Nobody in my immediate family. Maybe I had a friend or two had gone to meetings or something. I heard something somewhere or I saw something on television. I just knew that I had a problem with this. And there was somebody on the other end of the phone who was very kind and understanding and said, I'm going to send you to this meeting. I'm going to send somebody to meet you at the meeting. And I went to my first meeting at the Falls Church Group in Falls Church, Virginia. I went in and there was somebody to greet me at the door. The guy that they sent from the intergroup office met me there. There were speakers at night. There were chairs that were set up. All of those people in aggregate who did those little jobs performed a life-saving operation that night. And the life they saved was mine. So a good, well-run, organized meeting is what saved my life. You know, you were the first person who has uh, said that intergroup, when you called and, and asked for help and they gave you the meeting to go to, they arranged for someone to meet you there. Yeah. I have not heard of that being done. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. They sent out a guy who was in his early 30s. They said they were going to send somebody who was about my age. And I went, they're sending some old guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he ended up becoming my first sponsor. He really helped me a lot in giving me the list of things that I really needed to do, like having a home group and staying in touch with him and praying and some of this other stuff uh, that really set up the things that I still do today in order to stay sober. Having a commitment is another one. Did you work the steps with him? 
So no, I did not work the steps with him. I ended up getting another sponsor at one point along the line, and I did a fourth step while I was on a retreat. So I had an entire weekend to write stuff up, and I did it with a priest who was at the retreat house, a retired priest. There was also another one who was in the program who was there, and that's where I did my fourth step. I didn't do it with a sponsor. I did it with the the priest that was there because I was raised Catholic and I had gone to a little high school seminary school and I was used to -to face-to-face confession. So the idea of being able to sit with somebody and talk about this stuff was not a completely foreign thing. I'd never parsed it out the way that our big book does, but it was not something that was a, a foreign thing for me to do. And I felt comfortable in that situation. That's in the big book. That, that you can. That's right. Yeah, it sure is. Enough. It does say that. I think it's really in there for that reason for Catholics. Yeah. Because for some Catholics, as I understand it, that's really the way it should be done. Yeah. With the priest. That's right. Is there a, in the first time that you went through the steps that you felt a significant moment, a significant change? You know, I... <laughs> After doing a fourth and fifth step, you know, is that looming big thing that sort of hangs over you when you first come in because everybody talks about it and you can see that it's there. I was so relieved to get it done. So if anybody <laughs> asked about it, I could say, well, I've, yeah, I have done this. I've had lots of little interesting special moments happen uh, through the course of time. When I was sober about two years, my mother, I'll never forget, I went to dinner with them and she looked at me in the eye. She took my my face in her hands and she said you're different she said <sighs> she said there's something different about you she said i i she said, whatever you're doing keep doing it because they didn't understand what i was doing but they knew that i was going to aa they knew that i said i had a problem they were willing to accept that and in their own way they supported me with that despite the fact that they were very you know very strict catholic and we don't know what you're doing with this but okay you know they could see the change that perhaps you couldn't see. Well, isn't that true, though? I mean, you've been able to see that with people that have come into your home group, that people kind of stagger in and they and, and you go, oh, see what's going to happen. And then, then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you see them and, and they're, they're standing taller and they've gotten a job and they, you know, they, they got married and then they get divorced and then they get another marriage. But, you know, it, it, it's just you do see that happen. Yes, you do. And it's. You got me tearing up here, Bob. Instantly, when you said that, what popped to mind was uh, when I was home drinking with my husband and and just drunk as I could be, and I had been on the phone with my mother, and she drove from uh, about 20 minutes away, uh, brought burgers because she wanted us to eat, and she wanted to make sure her son was okay. Yeah. That stands out as a memory, even though I was drunk like crazy at that moment. She's worried. Exactly. You know, I, I put her through the ringer with this stuff when she, both she and granny got to have their son and grandson back uh, for the many years that they did before they were gone. Um, I love that. What a gift that I got to have to be able to be a good son and grandson. Yes. Can, can I, I'll share something else about my parents. You know, they both, they both passed away in the last seven months or so ago. And One of the things that happened, my mother uh, was mm, difficult growing up. She was, she was, and everybody who meets a girl, she's difficult. (laughs) But, you know, when it came to this, somehow um, she would say to me, she said, well, what are you doing? And I go, well, you know, I've got this guy I'm sponsoring in the program and I'm, I'm going into correctional facilities. And she said, what are their names? And I would give their names. She goes, I'm going to pray for them. 
So she would pray for them. And then weeks later, she would, she would write reports, right? She's looking for the <laughs> results of her prayers, you know? And in fact, one of the guys who I sponsored in prison, who got out of prison and then through a series of events, ended up going over to France to get his master's degree from, from us doing fourth and fifth step in a, in a room in the prison, a cinder block room in the prison to going off to France to getting uh, his master's degree. It's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. And I like to tell that story. It's not because I did anything, because you know when you sponsor guys, you don't do anything. You're just kind of showing up and go, all right, do this and this and this. And then you walk out and go, I hope I didn't screw that up, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But she wrote this guy in France. She wrote him and sent him money at Christmas time. And then of course he turned around, he wrote her back and said, I'm gonna buy my mother a gift with that money, which she she would tell that story to anybody who could listen. I mean, she just loved that story. The reason that I had this relationship with my parents, and I have two siblings who did not have that kind of a relationship. I'm not saying that I'm special, but what happens in the program is if you're making amends to people, if you're doing that, what it ends up doing is it forces the relationship a little bit. You end up talking about stuff you might not normally talk about. My amends first took place at a dinner where I sort of said I was sorry for everything. And then later I wrote them a letter. And what I did in that letter is I thanked them for everything that they had done for me. Most of all, I wanted them to know that my alcoholism didn't have anything to do with them. But those little things that those li- that they did for me, those little sacrifices that they made for me in my life, they made a difference in my life. And I wanted them to know that. And I wanted to commit to being a better son, you know, get, get greeting cards there on time, sometimes with the help of Federal Express, but I'd get the greeting card, you know, there on time and, and that sort of thing. And so um, I think that I owe that. And you know, you know, what's funny about this? I didn't really realize the magnitude of that until both of my parents passed away in the last seven months. I really, and, and AA is completely responsible for that because of the amends process. How beautiful. You know, it's like I had difficult time with my parents and strained relationships. I wanted nothing to do every time I went over there back when I was drinking. It was always saying, well, no, I'm not going to be able to stay more than an hour. I mean, I've got it planned out when I'm getting out of there the whole time. And when I made amends to my mother, our relationship changed because I heard something that I was absolutely blind to. I thought that I needed to pay her back for all the money I borrowed from her. And I had lunch with her, told her that I had gotten sober. I'd quit drinking. I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous and I was changing the my life and trying to, and I want to do this because I borrowed all this money and I've never paid any of it back. And I got a check for you for $150 and I want to give you a check occasionally until I can pay this back. And she said, I don't want your money. What I want is this conversation that we're having to sit and talk with each other. Of course, that's what was missing. I was not there for her at all. I was always ready to get out as soon as possible. So I made a commitment to stay in touch with her from that time on at least once a week. And in fact, a great deal at the end of their life. I was there for them. I could not have done that when I was drinking. Yeah. I have a memory that just surfaced. I don't know where this came from, but I decided I was going to call my mother every week. I've got this memory in my head, Don. I'm in Greensboro and I'm driving over to your house to record the previous podcast. 
and I'm calling my mom. And that was a regular thing that I would do. Just a quick little check-in with her because often we would record on a Sunday. Yes. Thanks for triggering that memory, guys. (laughs) It's beautiful. Would you say that our higher power has entered our hearts and lives in a way that didn't happen before? I mean, that's what it feels like to me. You know, it... uh... It's difficult to own that, but I would say that, yes, I am changed. What, what is my higher power, but it's my, it's my highest self. It's our best selves. I, I, and I, mm. I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, I have a fairly traditional way that I believe in that. But, you know, the, the thing is, is it's sort of a, an evolving thing. It's an ever-changing thing. But I think that, yes, I think when you, like, got in your heart, it's a matter of, am I going to allow that to happen? And can I get my own selfishness and my own ego out of the way enough in order mm. to allow that to happen? And that's the big question. And that is something that I have to remind myself. That's why it's so important for me to pray every morning because I will forget. If I do not do that, I take over. And it's like it happens. And as I'm taking over, that part of me says, no, 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 you got this. You're fine. You know, you know, you don't need it. Yes, it's all ego. (laughs) It's like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Bulldozing. So actually, so here is, here's Get out of the way. <laughs> you, you were asking about lines earlier and I bombarding the problems in oh, my yeah. life. Bombarding. What a good word. Yeah. My favorite line in the big book is do not be discouraged. Mm. I love that. You know, because you can, you can get discouraged. I mean, life can be very discouraging. You can be discouraged with, I haven't worked the program the way that I would. I'm still selfish. And I did this thing that was selfish. I engaged in this behavior and this makes me feel bad about stuff. And it's like, oh, do not be discouraged. So I have the balance of, I want to be hard on myself to not allow that to continue, but at the same time, uh, not put myself down. Well, this has been great, Bob. Stick around. We got a question for the Ask It Basket. It's time for the Ask It Basket. What's that? That's the name Bill W. gave the basket that was passed around for questions. We want your questions for our guests. General recovery questions, newcomer questions, AA history. Got a question for the Ask It Basket? Go to aagreatvon.org and click on podcast. And now let's dip into the basket. We received this letter from Sarah S. She writes, On page 25 of the big book is the line, The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. I've heard this line read two ways, enter to our hearts and lives, this refers to our life, or enter into our heart and lives, this refers to our creator of where our creator lives and is being. Which way did the authors intend for this line to be read? Sarah, thank you. What a great question. And the podcast team in New York who first got your email said, we love this question. All of us read it to rhyme with hives rather than gives, but the alternative is even more powerful. We asked our resident big book scholar, Bill S., about this question. He's the author of Writing the Big Book, The Creation of AA. This is his reply. Very interesting. As you know, I have on occasion railed against the 
quote, AA word police, unquote. <laughs> but this one is, in fact, interesting. Personally, I read this as lives, but I'm not sure I can make a strong argument for that reading. My best shot would be to say that if the word was meant to be read like lives, then the writer would most likely have emphasized that with an additional word. For example, the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our heart and lives there in a way which is indeed miraculous. Best, Bill S. Thanks, Bill. That's really a good point. All you got to do is add the word there, and it really makes you say lives instead of lives. That's a good point, but we know that Bill was uh, definitely an interesting writer, and so he may not have used an excessive word where he didn't really want one. Yeah, the big book is shot through with it. <laughs> nice reference there. Well, it is a really interesting question, and everybody that I've talked to, I read this recently to someone, and they were going, oh, yeah, I, I really like lives, but the point, they're both good, and I like the ambiguity there because it just gives it more depth. Well, I am even more enticed to find out how the plain language translation of the big book handles it. <laughs> Will we see lives or lives? Sarah, thanks for writing in. Indeed. Thank you, Sarah. Bob, this has been really fun. Oh, it yeah. Has. It's been fun. Of course, Don and I have talked some, and Sam, it was great to get to know you a little bit better. Although I do feel like I know you from editing your audio and <laughs> you talking about your grandmother and your mother and all of that. I mean, it's just really great. And I love the... I love what you've done with this podcast, and I love the friendship the two of you have and how that shines through, and the stuff that Alice has done on the podcast as well has really contributed. Oh, Bob, thanks so much. You can give a gift subscription of Grapevine or Lavinia. Grapevine has a long waiting list of incarcerated members who want one. Get your group, district, area, or AA friends to join in. It's easy. Go to aagrapevine.org and look for Carry the Message at the top of the site. And now it's time for Blast from the Past. We have a really fine quality recording of Bill W. at the 1953 General Service Conference sharing on his future literature writing projects including a book on AA's history and introducing his recently completed book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. This is AA's third general service conference that took place from April 22nd to April 26th at the Hotel Roosevelt. It's a five and a half minute recording and the recording does end abruptly mid-sentence, so don't worry. Thanks to the AA archives for this historic recording. You can always visit AA Archives at the General Service Office in New York. One new book, the Step and Tradition Job, a chapter under each of the 12 steps and a chapter under each of the 12 traditions. When the, we started out to do the job, I was very reluctant about it. I didn't believe I'd ever be able to write again. I felt stale. I never had any confidence in my ability to write. You know, the drunks can talk freely, 
few of us have time to read, and still fewer of us can really write or want to write. Well, I was one of those fellows. So I was so jittery about this whole business that I said, well, just let me take one of those pamphlets, that tradition pamphlet, and just as a trial spin here, let's see if we can revise that and try to get my hand in again. And finally, we came up with the notion that uh, we ought to have a little chapter under each tradition with the idea of putting that into this pamphlet or maybe a booklet to dignify it a little more, words of the master stuff, you know. And um, to our surprise, this stuff began to look pretty good. And still more to my surprise, Gene Exman, the religious editor of Harper's, just happened to be at my house. He knew nothing about this operation. And we showed him a few of those tradition chapters, which have been running in abbreviated form in the grapevine, and asked him if they were clear and if they were legible and if he, as a reader and an editor, could understand what they were all about. Just asked him that favor. To our great astonishment, and before any of the chapters on the steps had been written, Gene, on behalf of Harper, showed a terrific interest. And he said, well, these will be interesting to the students of the movement and sociologists and so on and so forth. Harper's will be definitely interested just in these traditions, which, of course, were written straight for AA consumption. Well, of course, that bolstered up my ego a little and felt a little bit about the writing. And then somebody said, well, Bill, uh, why don't you write a series of chapters on the 12 steps? Oh, I said, hell's bells. Uh, I, uh, I can't very well do that because I haven't been able to make 12 steps work on me. The only thing much I've got out of them is sobriety, which is sometimes my sole virtue. I don't believe I could do a job like that. But we pressed on with it, and finally we ground out a longer chapter than the tradition chapters on each of the 12 steps. See, like Topsy, this thing sort of grew. So then somebody said, well, we don't want to put the traditions out separately from steps because most of the alkies will want to buy the steps, but maybe they won't be so interested in the traditions. So why don't we clamp the two together? And they'll buy a book, maybe, to read the steps, and we'll thus snare them into reading something about these traditions on which our future unity depends. So this idea of the book just grew and grew and grew until here, dear people, it is. This is the very first copy off the press. We hope to have them generally available at conference time, but we actually can't begin shipments to the groups uh, until May 10th. There was also quite a hassle whether I should sign this book, and everybody thought I should, but you know how obstinate I am. 
I thought I shouldn't, so that's the way it was. Uh, however, the only concession I did make was that the office could send out just one good plug, which after I read it, I felt was rather strongly promotional. Anyway, the drunks have already mailed in orders for 5,982 of these books in a matter of less than 10 days, and we've scarcely heard from the coast yet. Now, that's what I call buying a pig in the poke, because I have an idea that when you start reading these chapters on the steps, you'll find the going so tough that you'll want to throw the damn book right out the window. Now, that is a summary of this year's accomplishment. But the accomplishment, I really think, is not principally my own. While I was photographing a wedding reception recently, a waiter approached me with a glass of champagne, and I had to tell him, that stuff doesn't agree with me. Well, then maybe you ought to join the double A's. What do you know about AA? Plenty. My brother belongs, and he was so bad they'd only let him take one A at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is hosted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Search AA Grapevine in the App Store on your phone or find AA Grapevine on Instagram and YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, search online for Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. That was freaking amazing. <laughs> One thing that bothers me about the big book. Here we go. <laughs> you know oh, what really grinds my gears? This is what I, this is the AA Grapevine podcast. You know what grinds my gears about the big book? <laughs> is that a new segment? <laughs> what grinds my gears about the big book? is the way that the language has changed. Bill, instead of saying whatsoever, it's always whatever instead of whatsoever. We never say whatever instead of whatsoever anymore. And except I, when we're reading aloud from the big book. Except when I was reading with a new sponsee, and he was stumbling over that continuously. I was going, just think of it as whatsoever. <laughs> and that's what grinds my gears. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they get a sound effect that goes.
<laughs> some awful sound of trying to put a transmission in and just oh run the clutch. Do that while I'm wrestling with the potential sponsee while we're breaking furniture. And... <laughs> Don't let him pull the keys from your piano now. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hate it when they do that. <laughs>